The following is a production of Entertainment Rating Services. Son, you know your father was a rigger, a rigger was he. Son, the shoes you have to fill are bigger, as big as can be. Hey everybody and welcome to Shackles, Burlap and Lies. I'm your host Ethan Gilson and this is episode 26. Today my guest is Patrick Santini, CEO and founder of ModTrust. How are you doing Patrick? I'm doing fantastic Ethan. Thank you for having me today. Do you prefer Patrick or Pat or do you uh, have a preference? Patrick, hey you works for me but uh... yeah <laughs> I've, I've, I've told people you know you can call me whatever it's fine. I'll respond to almost anything. So, all right. So, as always, the first question is Who are you? Well, uh, small town guy from Upper Michigan. Uh, started uh, running Spotlight at a community theater at 14 years old. Um, I was told that it was uh, something that I had to do. And as you know, uh, when you get into community theater, it's not something you can ever leave. You, uh, the first day you volunteer, you know, they don't, uh, they don't really ask you when you're coming to volunteer again, they kind of tell you. So, uh, that was my start in the entertainment world and I haven't really left since, um, my profession has changed many, many times over, but as far as straying away from theater and entertainment, uh, you know, that's, uh, uh was a long time ago now and I'm, and I'm still in it. So that's uh, a little bit who I am. Uh, I've dabbled through, uh, through my career, uh, everything from being a medical specialist in the army to a union uh, uh, iron worker, you know, erecting stadiums, bridges, things of that nature, uh, into uh, DJ, rock and roll, touring, and uh, now uh, trust in rigging manufacturing. I haven't had an opportunity to do this with any previous guests, but uh, one, I would say thank you for your service. It is That is something that uh, I greatly appreciate everyone who has uh, made a choice to serve in the military, and it's uh, greatly appreciated. So thank you. Um, so obviously, a, a lot of our listeners are going to focus in on the fact that you are the the founder of ModTrust. And yeah. for maybe the four of you who are listening who don't know, ModTrust is a, um, we use the term trust, yes. but I, I don't think it accurately describes a lot of your product line. You yeah. are a trust manufacturer. You're a, a, a structure manufacturer more so but yeah. what people may recognize from mod trust is instead of the traditional cord and diagonals which are welded into the truss you are a let's say a plated surface where um you instead of having diagonals all four sides of the truss are plate that have been machined out or whatever the actual process is to create diagonals but also the lack of need for corner blocks because you can attach things anywhere along the sides of these beams, structures, trusses, whatever you want to call them. How did that talk me through the development process? Yeah. Like well, what created what created the need and then, you know, 
the desire to go move forward with it? Well, fantastic question. I really couldn't be more excited that you brought it up, but I'm, I'm going to kind of uh, uh, run right back to the very root of your statement there, which is mod trust. It, it doesn't look like trust. And, you know, that that is very, very correct. So uh, the, one of the things that I explain to people about mod trust is very much like, say, soy milk or almond milk. You know, if you've ever watched uh, Meet the Fockers, you know, it's like almonds don't have little itty bitty teats uh, to, to draw milk from. You know, they're typically processed and squeezed and then they get a white ex extract that has similar properties of milk, but it's certainly not pulled out of a, a teat of an almond. You and know, the you may now you may now hold the title for the best movie of reference within this podcast. I'm <laughs> just cool. letting you right now that that was perfect. Yeah. So. Uh, in the same aspect of what is mod trust, mod trust is technically a tubular beam. Uh, that's how it's described in our patent and our IP. And if you really look at it, that's what it is. It's a tubular beam or column if you use it that way. Now, why, why trust? Well, the same way as almond milk is to milk, uh, almond milk is a milk substitute for people who can't tolerate lactose or so shall we call it a hybrid of milk or an improved milk? But they call it milk because that's the, the most common place in which that product is used. That's where milk has its foothold. So uh, in order to bring it to the market where it could be uh, palatable for everyone, uh, if they were to call it almond juice or almond water, uh, people wouldn't understand that you can use this for baking or cooking, or it's a, a proper nutritional substitute for your children. So what they did is they called it almond milk so that people could understand what it is and how to use it. Same thing at same thing for mod trust. Uh, we have a tubular beam that if we put it out there as, hey, come check out our tubular beams, people would be very confused and they wouldn't understand it, uh, especially in the entertainment world, which was our primary market of entry. So we, we adopted mod trust, which is a modular trust system. You know, we, we like to think about it at much like almond milk. It's a, uh, it has a different application. Uh, it's a, uh, or it has different nutritional values to the same problem. So uh, hence mod trust. So technically we are, we are a tubular beam. We're primarily made out of plate. Uh, and then it is a machined or punched process that makes that. So uh Sorry, go ahead. Aluminum, aluminum or steel? Well, or we, yes. The answer is yes. Uh, we make it in both aluminum and steel, primarily out of quarter inch material, uh, uh, some three sixteenths, but we do go up to half inch thick depending on uh, capacity applications. So, okay. Yeah. Um, so, how Mod Trust came about? So, uh, I. Uh, used to build a lot of sets for uh, sports television, uh, primarily Fox Sports, ESPN, NBC, ABC, Turner, uh, NFL, NHL. We, we had a, a little monopoly on field broadcast for sports television. And unlike uh, either theater or uh, rock and roll, where you go into an arena or uh, a stadium and you put a stage in the middle and everybody looks at the stage, uh, Sports television is a little bit opposite. What's important is what's over the shoulder of the talent. So if you're doing a boxing right. match, 
and the boxing ring is in the middle of the arena, they always wanted to position the set so that was over the shoulder of the uh, the talent that was talking. And that always put it in very unconventional locations. So it would be either over a vom or in the seating or uh, outside the stadium, very, very odd places. So traditional builds, there, there really wasn't such a thing. And we were always doing uh, custom length trusses. You know, we needed an eight foot, six inch, or we needed the three foot. And uh, it was always very, very challenging to have. And I, I remember amongst all these builds, and uh, at that time we were uh, uh, XSF House, uh, the guys down in Texas who yep. who supported us uh, uh, always. They were just a fantastic company to work with, and we, we loved their product. But we were always calling them going, we need an eight foot three, uh, eight foot three inch uh, truss and we need it tomorrow. And that just it wasn't always an option to, to make happen. And it was unfair to them to constantly put them in that situation. So we started kind of doodling on a piece of paper, uh, something that looked like uh, eight corner blocks all stacked end to end to end to end to end. And we said, boy, wouldn't it be nice if there was something like this where you didn't have to put a corner block or if you needed to bolt right in the middle that you could. And that was really the first moments that uh, ModTrust uh, started to shape itself on what it was gonna be. And, uh, and we created it that way. So we took you know six plates, put the, uh, the traditional 12 inch utility pattern in it and repeated it all the way down. And that was the, uh, the first uh, beginnings of what ModTrust came to be. Yeah. And, and I'll say, again, my own opinion is um, I think it was a, a perfectly timed and very brilliant idea um, that every once in a while in product develop, development, somebody will have uh, something that they come out that is just it's perfect the first time. The concept, maybe not the actual widget, but the concept is perfect the first time one of the ones i usually talk about and i know i'll get hate mail for this is the mac concept by apple computer um really what i'm talking about is the gui the graphic user interface of the macintosh was pretty perfect from a concept the first time it came out now there has always been changes and improvements and they've taken a step backwards and then Microsoft came up with Windows, and the issue is they were always reverse engineering the concept because they couldn't exactly copy it. So one of the things that I've I've learned about ModTrust has been that idea of people are like, why didn't anyone think about this before of just, as you said, taking a bunch of corner blocks and putting them next to each other so I could have this flexibility? Um I've joked around with people that it is it is the ultimate erector set for riggers because you have that flexibility in different things like, hey, I want to do this. And that field flexibility is certainly important because even even if you have an inventory of traditional truss where you have five footers, eight footers, maybe you have some three footers. I, we've all been there where you take the hinge plate from your ground support section, which is two and a half feet long and used that because you needed two and a half feet, but you're still dealing with fixed increments and 
With mod truss, you may have a five foot section, but if you need to bring something in another foot, you have that flexibility without changing components. So just that in that idea was like, hey, this is this is perfect. That's what we need. And then from there, you just developed all the individual widgets of how to accomplish those things. Yeah, no, it, it's been a really exciting ride. Um, you know, uh, Modtrust itself, uh, much like you said, is like a big erector set. And you talked about the the perfect timing or, say, the perfect storm. So uh, as you see an erector set, boy, that uh, premise has been around, uh, I think, since the 20s. And it's been uh, uh, rebranded uh, all around the world into different things like Meccano uh, over, in, over in Europe. Uh, and uh, the it's lent itself to connects and, uh, you know, uh, even maybe the inspiration to Lego at some point. So uh, why didn't ModTrust exist before this? And uh, I have a lot of different theories on that, but I think the biggest thing comes down to it is cost. You know, uh, when you do steel manufacturing, uh, every hole you put into a piece of steel, and I'm not talking about, you know, the thin tin that uh, uh, an erector set is made out of. They have dyes and they just stamp it out by the, by the thousands and it's very inexpensive. But when you start looking at material that's a quarter inch steel or quarter inch aluminum, every hole you put in there costs money. So at the time that I started making mod truss, uh, the cost per hole uh, was over 25 cents to put in. And that's and that's being was being done with a laser. And, uh, uh, and on a 10 foot section, uh, I believe we had a uh, a excess of 120 holes. So on all, on all six faces. Well, uh, well, it would be, uh, uh, correct. So that's a lot of extra holes to put into a product as when you compare that to traditional trust, you have a total of eight holes. So, right. you know, that's extra cost and people didn't build things. It to make them cost more just in case they built them to be optimized for both price and for function. So it really wasn't until the laser industry, the cost started dropping to, on lasers. You know, the first lasers that came out were, were, were $10 million and then they dropped to five and to one. And you can get a commercial laser now, uh, a real high volume one for, you know, $300,000. So the cost of lasers have dropped tremendously. Therefore, the cost of laser manufacturing has dropped. So if, if somebody, say, for example, in the 80s would have looked at com or, or, or uh, even the early 90s would have looked at the cost of producing mod trust back then, it would have been completely cost prohibitive. So therefore, nobody really... Right. Maybe I wasn't the first person to think about it, but I was the first person to actually give it a technological shot of becoming a real product. And so I think the timing really was the big part of, uh, of what happened as far as the, the manufacturing technology becoming uh, cheap enough to make it viable. So, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what, so one of the thoughts I had as you were talking about some of the challenges of of the concept of mod trust is also market saturation and in people's brand allegiance. Mm -hmm. um, we can look at CM hoists that 
they until only recently had a significant market share of hoists, not just in the U.S., but globally, and that we typically it's kind of the Kleenex thing. We refer to a hoist as it's a CM hoist. Mm-hmm. Well, now we're seeing some different products. Um, there was a joke in the rigging world that, you know, a hoist is a hoist and trust is trust. You know, Jeff Reeder and I have joked, he's joked for years that, you know, if you got $25,000, you can tr- start a trust company. You know, you're going to pay X dollars to an engineer to come up with a couple of products. You're going to buy some material. You're going to hire a welder. You're a trust manufacturer. Um, can you talk a little about the challenges of trying to bring a product which you have mentioned may cost more you know a person looking for a 10 foot piece of trust to span you know that 10 feet obviously is looking for value what how is that process of trying to break into a market that may be very stubborn about well but i got this over here and 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 how did, uh, quite honestly, how did you not get discouraged by people saying, eh? Yeah. Oh, that's a big one. So, uh, so the, my, my previous company, which was, uh, uh, I sold it off to a, uh, another production company called Filmworks International. Uh, my company built fields, uh, broadcast sets for sports television. And we got them, uh, not a complete monopoly, but we did just about all of them that were out there in the field. And, and that happened because we were able to build custom structures at rental prices. And that was only able to happen through a product line that allowed us that flexibility. So when someone wanted a triangular shape set, set or they wanted something that uh, uh, had all kinds of oddball dimensions, we weren't busting out welders to make that happen. We were just grabbing different lengths of the ModTrust components to actually make that happen. So uh, there's a lot of times where we were going head to head with some of the, the larger uh, custom set companies that are out there. And uh, I remember specifically a set that we built for Fox Sports for the Super Bowl uh, that they were required uh, three bids to get. We submitted our entire proposal Uh, The proposal for that was around $85,000. And the other two proposals came in at just under a million dollars. And people were were really curious, well, why was it so different? Why was it? And I said, well, because uh, we were doing this with all product that we had off of the shelf that that we just grabbed. We bolted it together and we made this custom set opposed to where they were uh, taking out welders and engineers and redesigning every single component from scratch. So right. that really gave us quite the, uh, uh, quite the upper hand. Now, on the, uh, the opposing side, uh, what, are, what are our biggest challenges going into the industry? Well, when it comes to building, a, uh, building structures, you know, and, and if we look at it, uh, lighting guys, um, they hang off of hang their fixtures off of off of truss. Uh, the lights are all made to grab onto either a uh, 1.9 OD to two inch OD pipe. Uh, every light comes out of the box, and what does it have on it? It has a a, a round clamp, a, 
cheese right. of some sort. Uh, now, the and that's the same for film. That's the same for television. Uh, a lot of most rock and roll, uh, theater. Uh, everybody wants the round pipe. Now, when you start getting into the structures stuff, now you look at trade show builders. They build a lot of stuff out of truss. Now, they have the exact opposite problem where they have to take flat surfaces and adapt it to round. You right. know, their scenic panels, now they have to get to round pipe. Uh, you know, uh, you take a hanging a TV or an LCD or an LED panel. Uh, it has a flat mount on it that you have to adapt to round pipe. Uh, you, your set builders, uh, your staging guys uh, often use truss to help, uh, you know, overcome different obstacles. And again, staging panels don't like to aff uh, affix to round pipe. So when Matras entered that world, that really wasn't a big challenge to kind of help, help them understand how it was going to be successful for them. But when we get into the lighting guys, you know, uh, in, in the rigging world, uh, we kind of took the opposite approach versus something that is uh, uh, primarily a lighting product. And we started off with something being a structural product first. And then we adapt ourselves to work for the lighting world. Because in, in the reality, you know, most riggers were, were structural, were, were structure providers, you know, and uh, I started out with a structural product first, and then anything under that is what we adapt to. So if you need right. to hang speakers, you need to hang lights, you know, it's a little bit like, like a chain motor, you know, everything below the hook, it really doesn't matter. The chain motor provides its function. And then yep. you adapt below the hook, and, and that's what Modtrust is. We're the we're we're a structural product, and then we can be whatever it is you want underneath that. Uh, but the challenge there is, is that you know, um, uh, you take your traditional twelve-inch uh, 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 tubing truss, and it's done, and you can clamp a light to it. And uh, if that's what you need, then you shouldn't be looking at Modtrust. <laughs> and that's that's. That's a tough thing, uh, you know, for for the listeners who are not either don't run a business or or aren't involved with manufacturing. It's very natural to want to be everything to everyone, to be able to increase your revenue stream by creating new products that solves everyone's problems. However, like we've said, as a individual honing your skills to be exceptional at a few things instead of good at many things, sometimes knowing your market's important and saying, you know what, maybe we're not the right solution for this. And and I think the, that I've seen companies succeed by actually referring customers to their competition because they said, you are going to be happier with this solution than what we can provide for you. And it does two things. It keeps a happy client, which is always important, but it also maintains the integrity of your product that you don't sell someone an idea and because they don't have a good experience with your product, they then are like, oh, it's a, it's a piece of crap and I'm never gonna use it, where maybe it just wasn't the right tool for the application. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, all the time we get people coming in and they're like, we're looking for 40 feet of truss so I can hang, you know, six lighting fixtures across. And I said, okay, well, your load capacity is pretty small. Uh, you want everything to go to round pipe and it, it needs to assemble very quickly. And I said, well, you know, I can refer you to about six different companies that can provide that to you for uh, quite a bit less than what you're going to get with our product. And uh, if you're going to hang a, if you need a simple truss to hang a curtain, again, uh, we're probably not the product that you want to use for that. It's uh, uh, that that's just not our not our wheelhouse. You know, we we are we refer to ourselves as the Swiss Army knife of structural products. But yeah. uh, when you have a Swiss Army knife versus a single blade, you're carrying with you you're carrying in your back pocket a lot of tools that you may not need, and it and it doesn't come for free, right. Um, if you go into Facebook, you can look at certain companies like, uh, B&W rigging out of New York that have done a lot of products, projects where they use mod trusts and traditional trusts. So it may be recently they've done a lot of, uh, outdoor led wall stuff, um, they might have used traditional truss for towers, but for certain other components, they were using mod truss hardware to give them the flexibility. So they they really are trying to to use the right widget in the right application to make it work for their needs. Yeah. One of the other. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say one of the other thoughts that I had that's interesting for people to recognize is. Um, a corner block, a 12 inch corner block for your standard truss is not 12 inches. It's slightly larger than that. And one of the other interesting things about mod truss is that precision, you know, you can have things be a little more precise. So make it relate to other things like scenic elements that are going on the truss or other things you can get a little more precise with. So, um, yeah, yeah, we, just diff we, different we, things we, that I've noticed. Yeah, we, we push predictability and uh, the the core nature of how truss works is is you you know you have your horizontal members, you have your diagonal members, and then you have your vertical members, and all of those have to typically come to a panel point uh, and meet to a relatively perfect triangle in order for it to you know. Uh, fulfill its purpose as a, uh, as a prime shape. Uh, now what happens is, uh, when you start changing lengths of trust that the, the mathematics behind how many of those triangles that are created and to the length of them inherently has to change. So what happens is, is that you lose predictability of where you can clamp something. And I'm sure I'm the only person in this entire podcast that laid out a section of truss and laid out where my fixtures needed to be. And there was always a clear spot of pipe there for me to put my clamp every time. It just never, there's never right. any experience, right? Uh, it, we all plan ahead, you know, we, perfectly. We all plan ahead perfectly. So we, we've, uh, but, but you, of course, that's not the reality. When you go and you want to hang something there, and you, especially if you have a two-clamp fixture, like some of the larger moving lights, uh, you run a very high likelihood of running into interference with one of the, one of the cross members. Um, 
mod trust? Uh, because we're a plated product, uh, we have pr uh, ultimate predictability on our construction. So we have a five or uh, uh, an 11 sixteenths hole that fits a five ace bolt every three inches all the way down our product line. That gives us ultimate predictability of what is going to be there and how to attach things. So uh, a lot of people have to pre-build uh, very complex things and then uh, lay out their mounting attachments or maybe even adjust them. Uh, with ModTrust, I can tell you that you're going to have an, a, a hole every three inches. So, uh, and much like you said, for corner blocks, you know, uh, the nature of a 12-inch corner block for utility truss uh, typically will lend itself to be anywhere from uh, 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 13 to 14 inches across versus 12 inches. And that can throw off an entire uh, an entire build, let alone scenic, or just trying to work out the math on how something fits. You know, everything on ours is is nominal three inch increments, so it makes it very very predictable. The the example I use for corner blocks wreaking havoc in your your truss design is circles. You take a twenty foot diameter circle truss, and you want to do a cross of truss in the middle of it. You say, hey, I just throw four corner blocks in and, and build my truss if I have the right sizes to form the cross. Well, the two issues are this. One, your 12 inch by 12 inch corner block is not 12 inch by 12 inch. And two, you've actually changed the diameter of your circle. So your circle truss segments are actually not going to line up properly. Um, and it's if you've ever done that, which a lot of us have, you know, you're getting that last connection together and you're getting your spud wrench and you're like, oh, we'll just kind of force this in place and get a bolt in there and tighten it up. Eh, it's fine. Right. So that precision is is certainly I think as you're explaining it, people can start to see why uh, there are certain advantages to well, a product in that flexibility. There are, but the, the word corner block in our world is actually an, a naughty word um, because the nature of our product, we, we actually don't have the need for a corner block. So in, in order to turn 90 degrees from a product uh, with a, the traditional uh, uh, type of truss is you do, you have to put in a corner block, either, a, you know, anywhere from a two-way to a six-way corner block that you want to put in there. Uh, with mod truss, if your truss ends at the right length and then you want to change direction, you just bolt it right onto the end because there's already a whole pattern built in there for you. So if you had uh, uh, just 10 foot lengths of truss, you could build an entire cube uh, with that without needing a single corner block. Uh, it allows you to bolt uh, 90 degrees on the ends and not just the ends, um, every surface of it. So it does, it gives you kind of ultimate flexibility in that respect. Uh, so when you see a one foot section of mod truss, which looks like a corner block, it's technically not a corner. It's just a one foot length of truss. Right. I think the, uh, some easy, the low hanging fruit of possibilities are if you work in the, the corporate side of our industry, we've all built screen surrounds for, uh, the corporate show and you 
grab a pair of grapples so you can get the bottom quarter of the truss in the right place. And uh, I can only get one grapple on each side, which is fine because we're not putting any weight on it and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah. it's all those little things where you get that infinite adjustability is cool. the, the upside of it. Um, it. It's mind blowing. Some of the things that you can pull off with this stuff and you look at it. Um, I, if you were at our booth this year, at, uh, well, this past year at LDI, we had one corner of our booth that had um, every possible wrong uh, trust configuration you could think of to make that corner go to the ground. And it changed directions about nine times before that column actually touched the ground. And people looked at it and they thought it was hanging from the ceiling, but it wasn't. It was all the all the whole grid was supported on that one corner. And and we did that to prove a point that uh, sometimes the path that you're used to uh, doesn't necessarily need to be the path that you take. So there, there's things like if you uh, are planning on putting a 20 foot column in a building and you bring your your two 10 foot sections with you and you, you're ready to go and you get there and you can only go 18 feet, you might be thinking, boy, I'm I'm in really big trouble here. Uh, because those two trusses are meant to bolt end to end, you know, uh, mod trusses you could actually sister them side by side and overlap them on the sides and bolt them together and continue your column. Now, uh, anybody else who's learned anything about rigging would look at that and go, this is absolutely crazy, but structural, structural principles allow this to happen with our product. But it's unconventional to what we've been taught uh, because right. one, one type of system has dominated the industry since its inception. And now we're bringing something in that kind of blows all those rules aside and, and changes the game a little bit. There's a, an interesting similar related to, to pipe and, and C-clamps. Uh, ETC has a newer product. It's been out for two years called the fly pipe which is a, a self-climbing batten. And it's, uh, like you have mentioned, it's for a very specific market. It is not designed to be the end-all, be-all for everything. It has uh, a very limited capacity, but it's designed uh, to be more value-engineered to say where their lift lines are every 10 feet apart. So you can do a, a roughly 18-foot section with three lift lines, um, and add 10 feet from there. And you can't choose to move the lift lines. You can't tell them, hey, I only have eight feet between my building structure. It's 10 feet. However, the the body of this, and it's a, it's a, you know, hopefully at this point, my listeners have figured out some of the different terminology. It's a line shaft inside of a, an extruded body. And that extrusion, the bottom of it is the same profile as strut. It's a one and five eighths inch wide strut with the, the curled bottom. So you can use normal strut hardware or some of the strut hardware made by City Theatrical or the light source. So they made this and their intent is for the church that has six lights that's going up and you're going to focus them and they're never going to get moved. They're not going to change. It's not a very active space, but you maybe they're still in incandescence and you got to change the lamps every two years, whatever. Um, people started specifying this and saying, oh, and I want a pipe because I have a C clamp. 
While the downside is pipe is 2.7 pounds, iron pipe is 2.7 pounds per foot. So if you had a 40 foot pipe, you have about 120 pounds, a little less of added weight that took away from your capacity. And so that process of trying to educate people saying, well, why do you need the C-clamp? Well, that's what we always use. But does that mean it's the right thing? If you get rid of the C-clamp, my fixture weighs less by two pounds. I save four inches of trim height and, you know, it's a cleaner look for a fixture you're never going to move. And then you start to see people go, oh, okay. So it's very much that, well, that's the way we've always done it. But that doesn't mean it's the best solution for what you're trying to achieve. Yeah, no, that that's a very challenging thing to break. And people are uh, very much afraid of things that they don't know. You know, the, uh, uh, the, if you ask a carpenter how to, how to uh, build a stage, well, he's going to get your two by fours and your lumber. Uh, if you ask a welder, he's going to go and get some two by two tubing and he's going to weld it together. You ask a mason, he's going to build it on a block. So people are, are inherently going to stick to uh, what they know. So it's often right. a project manager that has the ability to see from a little bit higher up of what is going to be the best value and the right application and uh, for what we're trying to achieve. So uh, whenever you ask a, a, a carpenter, what do I need to build this out of? The answer is always going to be one thing, build it out of wood. <laughs> right. What, a, what have been some of your uh, funner projects to work on? Um, people who follow my Facebook page know I just did a project within the last two weeks of moving a, uh, a Mercury 7 capsule, which, you know, I've joked, I would have done for free just to be involved in the project because it's that cool. It's it was a it, it's history and it, it was an interesting challenge. What have uh, been some of the fun projects that you've been able to work on and, and create new solutions to that maybe didn't exist with traditional trust products? Um, boy, the, uh, the that well's pretty deep. But one of the things I'm uh, personally most impacted by is uh, I got the opportunity to work on uh, the relocation of the largest intact section of the Berlin Wall uh, in New York. And they needed to take these, uh, their, their T-shaped, T-shaped sections, uh, they had to bring them in through a doorway, uh, stand them vertically, and then move them into place. And uh, even though our structure itself was... Uh, was really using kind of Egyptian uh, uh, technology as far as uh, uh, levers and cantilevers and so forth. Very, very primitive design. But being involved on, on that project of lift, lifting, much like your capsule, a piece of uh, priceless history uh, was, was really, for me, pretty exciting because uh, I don't know how many, how many of our listeners, especially the longer, younger ones, were, were alive during the... The, the time that the Berlin Wall came down, but that was that was pretty significant uh, and impactful for me. And then uh, later on in life, being part of uh, uh, preserving a piece of that history, uh, much of it which was thankfully destroyed. But you know, uh, not to get too political, but a lot of memorials are out there uh, are there to remind us of the mistakes that we made in history, and by destroying them completely. Uh, you know, also kind of destroys some of uh, 
some of what we need to remember, uh, not to celebrate it, but to not repeat it. Well, and and to make you think, to make you reflect about how we have arrived at where we are, the good, the bad, and the ugly, um, is... Is something you know. Let's look at it from an engineering standpoint. We would all, especially those of us who have people who were personally affected by them, we have all, we we would all be happy to forget Indianapolis State Fair or, um, my brain just stopped. I was going to say, um, Radiohead in Toronto, any of the failures, the structural failures that we've had in this industry, we'd love to forget them. Yet we do look at them as a learning opportunity to say what decisions were made within that context. Why were they made and how do we avoid making those same situations, uh, choices in what may appear to be similar situations? So I, I, uh, anybody of our generation uh, has been in the shoes of Indiana State Fair, where uh, inclement weather come in, came in, and you uh, being typically probably one of, like, I'll, I'll say you as in myself, uh, one of the least paid people on site, uh, yet you have the most responsibility there. You know, you have a concert promoter that may have millions of dollars on a line. You have a, a, a high profile band. You have media. You have uh, thousands of fans. And because there's a flash of lightning off in the distance, you now have to make a decision that will ultimately either cost you your job, cost millions of dollars. And that's a that's a horrible place to put somebody uh, to make yep. a spur of the moment decision. And what we what we've learned from that as an industry for me is, you know, to have all of those decisions worked out ahead of time, you know, to have a action plan, to have a high wind action plan. If you talk to Jeff Reeder uh, or if you look at any structural plans that have been properly done through an engineer, every one of them has a threshold limits and they should have a uh, inclement weather action plan. And, you know, that action plan can be broad. You know, uh, I've done. Uh, events where we put up a roof system and there was so much stuff on it from lighting and audio and video walls that taking it down in inclement weather wasn't an option. And and our action plan was getting everybody a safe distance away, getting popcorn and then watching the show. Yep. Run away. And run away. That was the plan. And, uh, and people always ask, are you okay with that going down? And I'm like, you know what? If uh, the news comes and this thing's in a big pile, a pile of aluminum and nobody got hurt, I'm going to call that a success. So, but giving people the power to do that and not, you know, be afraid of losing their jobs or their careers and so forth. That's, um, uh, that's the biggest thing that we got to take away from those things. And, and they, they need to be remembered and they need to be beaten into every new person coming into the industry that, uh, what I always teach my guys is that if you ever feel like you're in a situation that your decision is going to cause you to lose your job, then choose the path where you lose your job and everybody lives. You, we are all one bad decision away from catastrophe. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. It's, you know, Jeff, 
Jeff will show in his trainings a video from the tattoo concert in Ohio that they had high wind and the roof did not fall. It moved, but it didn't collapse. And what what do we talk about? Success of the engineering because they got everyone away. Had it fallen, no one was going to be hurt because no one was near the stage when it happened. Um, and so it is a success story based on the fact that that plan worked. And it it, it without failure analysis. Yeah. Because that's probably a really good way to describe whether it's engineering or political choices in our history. It's failure analysis. We did not get the results we wanted. Let's look at why that didn't happen and figure out how to improve. Right. Uh, no, it, so it, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm sorry. I and I, I feel I feel bad because how uh, how many of us walked into this industry through uh, knowing right out of school that hey, this is what I'm going to do. I am going to be a uh, stage technician that is going to build stages that. Uh, you know, national acts or political figures are all going to get on. And uh, uh, I'm going to start with taking uh, uh, structural principle theory and I'm going to apprentice. And I'm, that's not how it works. You know, you get you get roped into being a stagehand one weekend because someone was shorthanded and you never leave. And they they, they paid you in a T-shirt and a beer and said, show up next Saturday and do the same thing for this other band. And you said, OK. Right. And, and at the end of the year, you find yourself as the person leading the crew versus being someone following it. And, 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 and that's that's the culture of our industry. And that's the part that really uh, was is was properly exposed through some of these these incidents that happen. And uh, we have to self police. Uh, you know, there's so many everybody has been to the local fireman's picnic and you look up at the air and you see it hoist up there by genie lifts and you see you see you see five reputable product brands being used improperly to cause an accident and you just yep. cringe and it's not that that person doesn't care it's that that person doesn't know any better yeah it's not stupidity it's ignorance in its actual definition of the term which is a lack of knowledge not a malicious attempt to ignore the facts or rationalize your bad choices but sometimes you just you don't know you yeah. think you're doing the right thing but you don't have enough knowledge to know you're not that brings up an interesting question that i want to ask and um, I'll, to all the listeners, Patrick and I had not talked to each other before we started recording this episode. We talked for a few minutes beforehand, but we actually haven't met in person. Um, so he doesn't know any of the questions I'm going to ask. So I may or may not be putting you on the spot, but I don't think this is a very difficult one to answer. But with traditional trusts, we have our ESTA produced ANSI standards talking about how they should be made according to the ANSI standards. How does Montrus re uh, how do I want to phrase the question? Clearly Montrus may not comply with those standards on face value. Is that something that you've ever looked at? Is, is it actually not true? Do you comply based on because it's a performance based standard that you, you hit the check marks to say, it's an interesting question that popped in my head in terms of I really promote that people should 
use products that follow the standards because it's a way of making sure you're getting a quality product. Does Mod Trust comply to say with the ANSI standards for trust? That is a a great question. And uh, my answer is going to be a, a bit challenging because I have to break it down. Now, uh, again, much like we talked about early on that, you know, uh, mod trust is as much trust as uh, almond milk is milk. So the, the sheer fact that we share the same name doesn't necessarily make us a tubular welded product. Uh, however, it's used in the, in the same fashion. So things that we have such as uh, material quality, uh, such as inspections, such as weld process, uh, those types of things. How often should we inspect the product? Uh, how should it be made? Should there be traceability of the materials? Uh, uh, you know, uh, our product has all been uh, engineered by uh, three separate structural, engine, uh, structural engineers, uh, PEs, uh, and the one that all of our load tables are based off of is uh, done by uh, uh, Jeff Reeder. Uh, if anybody doesn't know who uh, Jeff Reeder is, uh, you, you really sh should. He's one of the premier uh, uh, and most recognized structural engineers in our industry. Uh, and he validates uh, our load tables for our product as, as well as uh, the construction. So uh, is if we follow the the standard as it's written for regular trust, it, you know, there's going to be variations, uh, but we do stand, follow the, uh, uh, the uh, IBC uh, and the uh, standards for, or the ASTM standards for aluminum construction, which is, uh, goes over how it's welded, uh, how it's manufactured, what type of derating we have for fatigue um, and, uh, 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 a variety of other things, um, which uh, the uh, I'm sorry, the uh, ASTM standards for aluminum has recently changed, which is a, a whole nother topic because uh, uh, old load tables, as far as uh, the how um, much aluminum trust can hold, has actually uh, changed, I believe, in the last three years. So it actually derated our product a little bit if you have a current engineering study done. So uh, I don't know if that answers your question in whole, but. Uh... And it, it does. I think one of the the one of the things for the listeners to recognize is that you can have, first of all, the fact that we have ANSI standards for the entertainment industry is a, a wonderful thing. Um, and we're still really early in that process. Now, you look at things like DMX, which is an ESSA standard. But that was started prior to us adopting it. That was started by USITT and then um, given to ESTA to maintain it because ESTA had slightly better resources for that process. But we're not talking about an organization that has had standards for 50 years, 25, 20, 25 years in that ballpark. Um, I'd have to go back to my episode with Mike Garl to talk about uh ESTA and the standards program for which he's heavily involved with. Um, but the point being, there are a lot of other standards out there. Um, for, I apologize. Yeah. You dropped off after 25 years. What I was saying was um, 
our industry standards are not that old. There are a lot of other standards from different associations um, that do apply to a lot of the stuff we do and cover what we're doing, such as we don't have an industry standard for shackles, but there's already a standard for shackles that's adopted by the rest of industrial lifting, and we follow those standards and we're covered. So I think part of the reason I asked the question about whether or not Mod Trust complies with the ANSI standard is that there are some people who say, well, if it doesn't comply with the ESTA ANSI standard, we're not going to use it. Well, just yeah. because it doesn't comply with our standard does not mean it doesn't comply with any standards. Um, so that's kind of why I asked the question. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because um, Mod Trust was born in the entertainment industry, but we operate in other many other segments. You know, we are in the shipyards. Uh, we are in scaffolding. We are in uh, temporary construction. Uh, we build uh, modular buildings. Uh, we are heavily rooted in the aerospace industry in both maintenance and in manufacturing. So the, the ANSI standards uh, doesn't necessarily, uh, um, I don't want to say they don't touch, but... Uh, it's not broad enough. It, it's, it's certainly not broad enough. And the, uh, 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 the, the um, oh crap, I'm sorry, I'm having a, a, little, bit of a, a little bit of a brain fart right now. Uh, it happens to the best of us. Uh, the, the ASTM standards, the American Standards for Testing Materials, that is the, uh, the handbook for structural engineers. So that's what they look at. And, the, and you know, ANSI standards, you know, they're, those are critical things for us because we have a lot of non-responsible manufacturers out there putting out trust product that uh, the manufacturer doesn't really have a lot of background or depth, but they saw a picture of something and they recreated it and they put it out on market. And they've sorry. made it a commodity versus a a service and what i mean by that is you can buy trust from manufacturers that as you said don't know what trust is they copied the design they they won't eat it together and that's about it versus buying trust from a reputable manufacturer who can answer your questions may do trainings about how to use their product can can offer solutions to the challenges and it's more than oh just buy the product and then you're on your own Absolutely. That, you know you look at the, the reputable guys out there the thomas the tomcat the uh uh the applied the you know all all of these guys they have uh immense experience and depth and and the most important thing that you want to find and out of your trust manufacturer is longevity you know, these guys have been around for a long time. They've mm -hmm. made mistakes and they've learned from their mistakes and they put out quality products. And that's what you want. And, uh, and you know, it, are there accidents out there with product? You know what? You can take any good product and use it outside of its capacity and it will break. Ours will break. Every, everything out there brought beyond capacity will break. So it, it's training, training, training. What is it going to take to break it, and how do we stay within those within those parameters? So, but if you have a, a, a kind of a no name brand out there that doesn't publish the proper documentation or make sure that their users uh, have access to the the proper load tables, you know, 
uh, you can go on Amazon right now and you can find truss on Amazon and it will not have any load tables or specs or so forth. It'll, it'll say we are truss. And at that point, you know, you kind of got to classify it as, uh, as decorative, you know, um, yep. it, it, is it, a, is it a, is it a commodity that's needed out there? Absolutely. There are plenty of venues that need decorative non-structural truss, but it's up to us to know the difference though. Right. What's the uh, strangest request you've had from a client for a attachment to mod truss? Oh. Because a lot a lot of your product line is not the structural component itself, but the attachments to allow people to do something with it, whether that be hey, I need a round pipe for the C clamps on this fixture, so I have a, a widget that bolts to the truss to do that or the the led screen or et cetera, et cetera. so yeah what's the strangest one? Oh, well uh uh well there's two things that come up one is a uh, a gentleman that we refer to him as hurricane bed uh he basically built a four post bed frame out of our product so <laughs> um i think you can connect the dots there huh there's some uh, some more rigging involved in that project. More rigging involved in that. Project. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, the the second most uh, unique thing is uh, is uh, COVID related, and that would be um, uh, uh, casket storage, actually. So that's okay. Uh, yep. So. Uh, little bit little bit more on the morbid side but you know uh modular structural components really have no limits of where they right use. well it, it's it's funny um maybe 10 years ago uh there were a few articles in the trade magazines about a growing market for the lighting industry which it, it was social lighting but it was funerals people yeah. were doing you know we joke about the irish wake which is a party but there are people who are doing pretty elaborate uh, services. And, you know, you talk about it fundamentally. Uplighting and pin spotting is creating an environment. A hotel ballroom, you put some fabric up and you want it to feel a little more elegant. There you go. Well, it's the same thing for a, a service for someone who's passed away, which is, you know, hey, let's make a nicer environment and create a experience, a shared experience with all the people honoring this person. Um, so, hey, you know, whatever. Yeah, no, I, I, I um, uh, I, I'm a little bit upset about, uh, you know, the. I actually, I don't know anybody that's not upset over the last six months in our industry, uh, you know, with all the, the the crazy things that happened. But what I'm most upset about is, uh, we have the largest and most educated population about of building things in places where there never were things before, and yep. providing everything everything we can literally take a place in the middle of the desert and create a city that wasn't there in a very short period of time and uh that during this time that we weren't uh more relied upon uh you know right out of the gates for a lot of the solutions that needed to happen you know i feel like that was kind of a um a blind spot that we had or were, were overlooked right. that we had such we had unlimited amounts of labor at our fingertips and experts and generators and structures and lights and porta, you know, and, and, um, 
and and we just had people on TV going, we don't know what to do. And meanwhile, we're all here screaming. We know what to do. We know what to do. Uh, I'll tell you something. I was having a discussion with a a good friend of mine this morning, and I'll I'll name drop him, Dominic Huzio from Lanky and Limey. Um, And Dominic is uh, an industry leader in event safety. And we were talking this morning, actually, about, uh, you know, the tough choices of what do I do to earn an income if events are not coming back? And we ended up talking about this exact same thing with FEMA. And my suggestion, the first information that I think I could share with people about what would I do if I was looking uh, not to change careers, but to apply my skills in a different field, that FEMA, American Red Cross, uh, organizations that work to help build things for those who are uh, in trouble. It could be Habitat for Humanity. Um, Your skills may apply to those extremely well, because what is a festival? It's creating a city in a field where nothing existed before. We're creating infrastructure, bathrooms, food, medical, entertainment, which, you know, great. Shelter from bad weather. As you said, we have these skills. And by the way, we're doing it, you know, on a accelerated timeline because people, you know, bought tickets and the show starts at X time. So that's a great idea of those skills being transferable and marketable to that environment. If you look at it as the national, like the national guard of, of us infrastructure, you know, the entertainment community we are the ready reserve to get things built, but they just didn't know about us and we never marketed ourselves that way. Now, and, and it is the double-edged sword. We spend all of our time hiding behind the curtain because we don't want people to see us. <laughs> and so they didn't see us. Well, maybe, maybe this is time, much like all of the, uh, the historical things of, of uh, remembering how something failed. And, cel- and not celebrating that, but memorializing it so we don't make the same mistakes going forward. Absolutely. Um, what has been... what The question I normally ask, like a production rigger, has been, uh, what is the worst rigging you've seen? Or what is the scariest rigging situation you've been in? You have any... I don't like using the term horror stories because that infers, you know, gore and that aspect. But are there any engineering failures that you would want to share in that idea of failure analysis and how do we look at something that didn't work and improve on it? Hmm. That's uh, that is a. That is a tough one. You know, I'm a member of a lot of the Facebook groups and you can see a lot of very, very funny rigging stuff out there. The funny rigging should never be put together. Um, right. And I'm not necessarily ask, asking specifically about mod trust and failures with yeah. it, but more so just or any any situations where you saw a failure and you're like, huh, we could have done this with this product and not had that issue. Yeah. So the, the well, um, I guess more of the general practice and the uh, an example I always talk about is I was in Miami for the Super Bowl. Uh, this has got to be about 10 years ago and we were in a park 
and we uh, called the uh, the local diggers hotline. We had them come out, and uh, they they ignored the park section that we were in because it was city-owned property, and they said that there was nothing in there. So we 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 took their word on it, and uh, actually the company next to me took their word on it. And they put the guy lines into the ground using your, your four foot stakes and so forth. And no problems all day. No, nothing happened. And then the street lights came on. And the next person to grab the handrail uh, uh, got knocked out and had to be revived and uh, uh, ended up suffering some serious injury. But as you can imagine, what happened there was they drove a stake into the ground. And they hit the, uh, the street light power, which was on a timer. And uh, right. everything was was dormant until the, the lights came on and then it energized everything. So that, that's a big thing for me is underground hazards and uh, knowing what's underground and, and properly calling the uh, the authorities for uh, for driving stakes into the ground because you just don't know what's under there. So that's that one was very, very personal to me and, and, and witnessing it happen. And uh, it's very scary because uh, every single day people are driving stakes into the ground. And uh, you need to know what's under there. Yep. And and by the way, and I believe this is national, but 811 is uh, a phone number. And I just Googled it, Canada and the U.S., which is um, can be used for what in the Northeast is called dig safe. But it is actually the law that even on private property, before you excavate, you have to have your utilities come out and mark where their stuff is so that you don't inadvertently and the other fun part is i believe street lights are at 277 volts so that i'm sure that was you know not a fun jolt for that person no no that was a um really a really a sad way to bring a successful show to an end quickly yeah unfortunately um all right <laughs> trying to think um are there any, uh, one of the questions I ask is, are there any widgets or tools or anything that have just caught your fancy recently and like, this is really cool. And, and this certainly could be something you guys have just developed or, or something oh. or, or it could be a machine in your shop for fabricating like a new laser. Let's see new, new tools that are exciting. Um, Wait, we have a, a an extrusion pipe that we're pretty excited about. It's a 1.9 OD pipe, which is a you know inch and a half Schedule 40. Uh, but what it has is, is it has a T slot on the side of it, which is nice because you can actually bolt this pipe right to the side of our truss uh, and use it for a variety of options. So that that part has been pretty pretty exciting. Um, as far as that goes, but there, boy, there's new tools and widgets coming out there all the time. Well, what I'm really excited about is, is, is the different types of apps and information sharing. Uh, the, I think the, the online training is going to be a really big thing for everybody. You know, mm -hmm. it, it, it's forcing us all to, uh, accept that we can achieve certain things without having to be there. Uh, and, uh, that good, bad, or indifferent, um, we've never had, uh, more access to information than, than ever. So that, that's, uh, that's been pretty exciting for me, but yeah, other than that, nothing really too, too exciting for us. We've, uh, um, been much like all the other entertainment guys out there have been trying to hunker down and, 
and uh, safely make it to the other side for for the reemergence and the rebirth of the industry, which uh, which we we hope will be soon, but we'll see. Yeah, in in adapting, like many people, and in, in trying to f- figure out uh, what you can do in a, a changing landscape. Hey, sorry about that. Yeah, there's a um, there's a lot of people out there that aren't getting assistance, and you know they have, they're faced with the hard question of of uh, you know am I going to do something else? And there's going to be a lot of a lot of uh, veterans and and information lost that uh, you know we, we got to protect the we got to protect um, everybody so that when we come back we do have the educated folks versus just maybe retiring and hanging it up or uh, uh, or letting someone someone uh, uh, less experienced come in and take our places but uh, yeah what area of the the entertainment rigging industry do you think needs the most improvement and I'll I'll just I'll mention some of the previous guest answers a lot of them have mentioned training and safety um which is always a good answer not saying you can't use that one but just mentioning it um let's i'm, I'm gonna throw it out there it's uh it, it's 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 the vidiots i don't know is that still pc to use uh, even if it's not if you can't be nice be accurate yeah, it's the, it's the vidiots. Um, why? Because you know what? Their the extent of their world used to be, uh, you know, rigging a two hundred pound projector. Very very limited, very specialized, very simple. Not a lot of external factors, uh, and that has graduated into uh, you know multi ton video walls. Where now we're talking about a lot of a lot of engineering theory that has to go into it. You have external conditions such as wind. You have far more, you know, uh, hanging a 200 pound projector, you know, if you hung on the pipe and it held you, it's probably going to hold the projector. Uh, you can't do those types of tests when you're talking about a multi thousand pound video wall and its implications on a building. And I don't think there's a person out there that can contest that the most accidents and equipment destruction and deaths that we have seen over the last several years has been the acceptance of these large format video walls. And it's and it's because the the, uh, the 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 knowledge base of the uh, the the tree branch in which the video wall falls its responsibility is also taking on the rigging, and that needs to have a clear divide of from being able to patch in and uh, a video wall versus being able to hang one. So yeah. And, and it's part of the reason we created we the the grand we ESTA and the technical standards program created ANC standard for the frames of LED walls because we were starting to see more and more products where you would hang a column of half meter by one meter panels that are ten or twelve high and the top one starts getting pulled apart. Yeah. And in saying, hey, you we need to do better than this. We have to think about the structure of these because they're getting bigger and bigger and you don't want all those little chain links t- to uh, explode and create a catastrophic failure. Absolutely. And, and that's been our, uh, and I imagine every trust company out there is, is the same thing. Wh- what is the biggest challenge being thrown at you? And it's video walls. Uh, you know, the video wall itself is an incredibly complicated structure to rig. One is that it demands uniform uh, loading. It demands it. Otherwise, the video wall will start to rip itself apart. Uh, right. The problem that we have is that uh, 
every trust product out there will experience natural deflection. It's going to yep. have, and, and what that does is the bigger the video wall you have, the more deflection and the more that it builds internal stress amongst the panels, uh, you know, leading to uh, different types of failures, whether it be panels popping out or the, uh, or ripping the connections apart. So it's, it's a big problem in my eyes. Uh, we have a lot of people coming to us to help solve these problems. And there's a variety of ways of doing it, but none of them are really simple. None of them are easy. And none of them can be done without without a fair amount of training and experience. So that that's my that's my thing. If there's anything out there in the world that needs attention, it, it's it's the video walls because we have the some of our least experienced people graduating into having to manage that as far as far as structural rigging goes. Um, and uh, in through loopholes, it's falling out of the way of some of the most experienced riggers that are out there. So yeah, absolutely, and and. The current environment has led itself to the the perfect storm, as you had said earlier, of outdoor events where we can socially distance with big LED walls and weather. Yeah. And so, you know, how do you appropriately solve those challenges to, to deal with it? Because, you know, you can figure out a way to do it safely. It just takes a lot of resources and, and some careful thought. So... When does, when does the biggest nemesis and, and people don't respect it, uh, you know, humans in, in general have not respected mother nature and, and wind is a major, major problem for video walls and, and, and video screens. But the impl implication of a video screen getting ripped apart is a lot different than a video wall that blows over an entire structure. No, absolutely. Well, all right. Yeah. I don't know if I have any other specific questions. Uh, I mean, except for one. Uh-oh. Do you have any good, bad, or just humorous rigging jokes slash stories? Oh, boy. Um, I'm, I, I just feel bad because I don't. I don't. I don't have any really good ones. You know, it's... Uh, um, nope, I got nothing. I am sorry. <laughs> but, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of when I could make something like a, a mod truss rigger joke. Like, how many riggers does it take to hang a mod truss? What what's mod truss? Yeah, yeah. What's mod truss? Eh, you know, something like that. Well, people love the noise of mod truss, and they go, "Is that mod truss out there?" And it's like, "What? What?" No. <laughs> well, I uh, I will certainly in the show in the show notes put in a, a link both to the mod truss website as well as um, I think I'm gonna find your the Facebook page from the post of the Berlin Wall moving. I know you did that with some other people, so I'll try to throw a link in there as well so that people can see that cool uh, project. Um, and I want to thank you, Patrick, for taking some time from your schedule to talk about your company and yourself and some of the the cool stuff that you guys are doing. I appreciate it, and I certainly hope the uh, listeners appreciate it. I appreciate very much the opportunity being on today, Ethan. You know, it's great. Uh, education is the key. I don't think anybody can disagree with that. And uh, uh, anybody that's out there, there's a lot of great people out there right now taking the opportunity to, to use this downtime for education. And uh, it's a good thing that you're doing here. Thank you for having me. No, oh, thank you. And thanks to everyone for listening. As always, it is appreciated. I hope everyone is doing well and is safe. And until next time, keep the pin in the shackle. Some 
You know your father was a rigger, a rigger was he. Shoes you have to fill are bigger, as big as can 